Thanks so much for joining us here on Cranford Radio. My name is Bernie Wagonblast. Well, we're coming to the end of the month of September, but at the beginning of this month, we had a couple of uh, significant events that happened. One was Labor Day. The other was the start of the new school year in the Cranford Public School System. And on today's podcast, we're joined by Kevin Jalla, who is the president of the Cranford Education Association, and Colleen McDonald. She is the recording secretary for the executive board of the CEA. Colleen, Kevin, welcome to Cranford Radio. Thanks Thank for having us. Thank you. Kevin, why don't you tell me, what is the CEA? So the CEA is a uh, union for Cranford. We are a subset of the NJEA. We represent teachers, custodians, paraprofessionals, secretaries, and clerks. Um, I don't think I'm leaving anybody out, right, Colleen? Nurses. Nurses, yes, nurses as well. And uh, so we represent those people, and we are their voice if they have any concerns about working conditions or their uh, experience in their work lives. In terms of being a labor union, we're not going to get into any discussion about any contract issues or things of that sort, but give us a little bit of a sense of what you do in terms of negotiating. It's the Board of Education that you negotiate with. Tell us a little bit of of how that process works. The way the process starts off, we engage with our members and we try and engage as best as possible through conversations with them, what priorities are important to them in the next contract. If there are concerns with the current contract, we also try to address those. And then once we have all that information, we have several meetings with the Board of Education and we have a dialogue with them to try and come to an agreement as to how we can improve things uh, and to also discuss what the board is looking for and to come to a meeting of the minds and see what we can do for our members moving forward in the next contract. And Colleen, obviously a part of this is not just going to the board with what the concerns are of the members, but getting feedback from the members themselves about what their concerns are. How does that process work? I know you're a music teacher and and you teach uh, band and general music and chorus at both Livingston Avenue School and Bloomingdale Avenue School. But how do you get feedback from the staff at all the different schools that make up the Cranford Public School System? And I think that's the important part, giving our members, all of our members a voice. And the way that we do that is Traditionally, with regard to the negotiation process, we have handed out a survey and the members have um, filled that out with multiple choice questions and then an open-ended section to kind of hear what concerns are. But this year, actually, we will be meeting with these different groups of stakeholders throughout the district to kind of have a face-to-face meeting to get a chance to hear concerns that way. What's really great about the negotiation team is the fact that just about every unit of membership, every stakeholder group is represented. So it's kind of like allows for a point person to speak with, like I am representing both the elementary teachers and also the special area teachers, which would be like library, media, Spanish, art, um, phys ed, all these different stakeholder groups. And by having that structure and it's not top heavy in one way, we are able to hear the needs and address those concerns. I think one other thing just to speak to the negotiation process that we try to address is like modernizing the contract because the contract has been written a long time ago and sometimes there's verbiage or wording or different um, situations that we might want to modernize that too. So looking at what the board wants, what the, the staff members and the union members want is part of the contract, but also like keeping things fresh and up to date. 
Now, the contracts, how often do they get negotiated? I assume it's not annually, but how often does it typically get renegotiated? So that tends to vary depending on the location. Uh, Historically in Cranford, we've had primarily three-year contracts in what I'll call recent history. Uh, And looking back at older contracts when we were first formed, I think uh, there tended to be two years. But if you're talking in general around New Jersey, it's common to see three years, but also potentially four and five-year contracts. And where are we right now in terms of the, the contract process? So we are in the final year of our current contract, which is why we're starting up the process now, with the goal being to try and have a contract in place for next school year. Colleen, you talked about being the point person for two different groups of teachers. Are there point people for some of those different groups that you talked about, for instance, nurses, janitors, paraprofessionals, things of that sort? Yes. On the negotiation team, we have two high school teachers. We have an elementary classroom teacher, which does deal with something slightly different than me in regard with specialists. We have a paraprofessional. We have someone from the maintenance department to kind of work with the custodian and maintenance. We have a middle school teacher. Who am I missing, Kevin? Uh, We have a representative for the secretaries. Did you mention them? I did not mention that, the secretaries, and I think that's everyone on the team, yeah. Yeah, I think with our with our vice president, there are two middle school teachers, right, because we have two there. Yes, yes. So a lot of us check multiple boxes, mm-hmm. um, so sometimes I forget exactly. When you're negotiating a contract, obviously not all of these people can all be in the same room at the same time, and I assume not all of the board members are in the room at the same time. Give me a little bit of a sense of what the negotiating process is like. Is there a group that's charged with doing the negotiating from the CEA as well as from the board? Yes, that would be the negotiations team. And depending on the issues that are being discussed in the meeting, there could be different people speaking to certain points in the process. But our, our team is in, is in the room with the board's team, uh, the people that Colleen was just discussing, and then the, the board's representatives. And, and that's how the conversation takes place. Now, once you get to a point where you think you have an agreement between the CEA and the Board of Education, what happens then? It's I assume that negotiating team is not empowered to make the agreement. They have to bring it back to the membership. Correct. Uh, once we sign what's called a memorandum of agreement, then we take that back to our membership and we explain what we've done to negotiate for them. We show them the things that we have negotiated for. And then, yes, we hold a vote for the membership and uh, the contract has to be approved by a majority. I think it's a simple majority. I think at least over 50% have to approve the contract. And then uh, the board also approves it on their end at a board of education meeting, ideally. And then everybody, uh, then we have a contract. Obviously being union negotiators is just a small part of what you do. Your big job are being teachers. Kevin, tell me a little bit about your background. How did you get into teaching? Have you been always in Cranford schools? Where did that come about? I was probably in the minority in that when I was younger, from a very young age, I started thinking that I'd probably want to be a teacher, probably around freshman or sophomore year of high school. My mom attended Kane University, and so she received their alumni magazine. So they had a STEM program there. I was into math and science. They had the STEM program that also worked as an education program. They still have it there. And so um, that's where I went to college. And then, uh, yes, outside of college, once I graduated, it was a five-year master's program. I was looking for jobs, Cranford was hiring, and that's where I've been ever since. I am in my 12th year teaching here at Cranford. And Colleen, how about you? 
this is my currently my 14th year teaching here in Cranford. I do have a year of experience beforehand. I taught after graduating from the College of New Jersey in music education, my main instrument's trumpet. I moved to New York, had several part-time jobs, and then ended up getting a job in Patterson, and then got a job here in Cranford, and have been here ever since, and have been teaching the same things, general music for kindergarten through fifth grade, chorus for second grade at Bloomingdale, chorus here at Livingston for fourth and fifth grade, and then I also run the band program here at Livingston for our fourth and fifth grade students. So Along the way, I've gotten my master's at the University of Buffalo in music education and really have loved my time in Cranford and the relationships with the community and my the families at the schools that I teach at. I really love it. I'm now curious, Colleen, have you ever performed music professionally outside of what you do in the classroom? I haven't done that in a while. It's a lot of brain and music energy when I'm here in the classroom. And it's funny because when I first started my career, I did have opportunities playing in different musicals or with different groups. But I think when you break down, for me at least personally, when music's broken down to such simple elements and a lot of questions are asked, sometimes um, the things that I do outside of the classroom just have evolved and are slightly different. So professionally, currently, no, but um, I love playing with my students and have actually since starting teaching, picked up a few instruments along the way. I've gotten a lot better at the piano. We have a set of ukuleles here at Livingston Avenue Schools. So I've, I wouldn't say mastered, but gotten a little bit better at that, dabbled in a little bit of guitar and keyboard, like a few different things. So earning and I guess polishing those skills have helped keep me musically interested. Kevin, talking about your teaching math, computer sciences, that has certainly changed over the years in terms of technology. Give me a little bit of a sense of what a typical day is like for you in the classroom and the technologies that you use. Yeah, there's two components. I do I do math and computer science. I think for several teachers in our district, if you're teaching perhaps what I'll call not one of the core subjects like computer science, or if you're teaching, say, electives in other departments, it's much more common that you teach many different courses. And so for computer science, I teach our AP computer science principles class, our web design class. We have a sequence of those classes. I teach the intro class. Uh, and I also teach a cybersecurity elective, which is one of the newer ones that we offer. And so with technology having evolved, I remember when I first started getting into these classes here at the high school, students had laptops in my room that would stay in my room. There were stationary laptops. That was our setup and that's how they worked. But with COVID having happened, our, our school really made an effort, our district really made an effort to transition to one to one where all students are given a Chromebook. So uh, now they have their own Chromebooks. Teachers are primarily using Google Classroom to deliver content to students along with other technological resources. So I can say over my career, I've been using a lot less paper, especially mm -hmm. since computer science lends itself to computers anyway. That would probably be the biggest change I noticed. And also just with cybersecurity being an ever-evolving concept, just what I'm teaching in the classroom is, is very related to what's currently going on. And stuff does not tend to stay the same in that to the extent that it might in an Algebra 2 class, where the methodology might change as to how I teach, but the content is generally the same. Colleen, you talked a little before about wearing many hats. Kevin, in addition to your roles as both a teacher and president of the Cranford Education Association, you're also the treasurer for the Union County Education Association. What's the relationship between the Cranford Education Association and the UCEA? 
They are pretty much separate but related, I would say. We don't necessarily report to them since they're at the county level. That's The locals don't report to the county level, but certainly the county level there is, is there to provide resources. The different locals can have people go to the county level meetings to get information about what's going on in the county and any trends that might be emerging that we see across districts. And that's also the link where the state level NJA could relay information to us about things they're seeing at the state level so that we know what's going on and what the NGA is advocating for on behalf of us. And so it's really the link between all those three levels. The county level holds events around the county, just public events, trunk or treats and different things coming up on Halloween, different holiday events to try and bring some joy to the county and its members. You mentioned the NJEA, the New Jersey Education Association, for somebody who's not a teacher. You know, I think back to my days as a student and as a parent of kids who were in the Cranford Public School System. For me, the NJEA was those two days off in November that the kids had. What goes on down in Atlantic City during the convention and what does the NJEA do on a a wider scale? I'm sure it has resources beyond what you can have just in Cranford. The convention down in Atlantic City offers so many things for members. It offers an opportunity to connect with members across the state, but the bulk of it and what's kind of amazing are sessions. And there's workshop sessions formatted in different ways across all grade levels, all subject areas where you can attend and you can refine your classroom practice. I've attended a session in the past about the Google suite for education and I went to a training, different tips and tricks. I have a few colleagues who actually presented down in Atlantic City on um, a specific um, approach to teaching math at the elementary level. There are music workshops. There's a lot of everything. And I would say that if you look, take a look at the schedule, there's probably at least three to six concurrent sessions with a lot of options for teachers. There's also, like I said, networking to be able to connect with other teachers and to meet different colleagues from different places. And it's a wonderful opportunity to develop professionally and to hear about different cutting edge things that maybe you're somewhat familiar with or you've never heard of to bring back to your students, bring back to your colleagues and to your district. And it's it's a wonderful experience. I think Colleen did a very great job summarizing that. Uh, and I think to a smaller extent at the county level, some of those workshop ideas also go around, go on around the year. So the county will have different workshops to help out teachers throughout the course of the year, whether it's planning SGOs or, or different ways of, of helping teachers with classroom management and helping different student populations. So that PD comes at us from the state level as well as the county level. And locals can also bring in certain workshops as well to have them done for them, their members at the local level. Both of you touched on this a little bit before, but I remember when I was a student, I couldn't imagine my teachers were once students themselves, but obviously you were. You started in kindergarten and worked your way up through 12th grade before you went off to college. You're a bit younger than me, a lot younger, let's be honest, a lot younger than me. (laughs) So (laughs) compare what it was like for you as a student back in the day with what it's like for you as a teacher teaching today's students? Colleen, you want to start? Yeah, that's a that's a really great question. I haven't really thought about that in a while. I'm going to speak specifically to uh, my experience with band. And I know that I would not be a music teacher today without my high school band director down in Hamilton, New Jersey. 
Um, his name's Bob Gravener. He's an amazing person and a wonderful trumpet player. And my music education didn't step up until high school. And I didn't make a lot of the connections that were really important musically until I got to high school. And I think my experience now as a teacher, I try to kind of help the students make those connections at an earlier age to where they have enough of a foundation to make music outside of my class. And I think that for me, that didn't happen until the high school level. But for my students, I'm trying to have them make those connections a little bit sooner to be able to transfer those skills. YouTube is a wonderful resource. You could literally figure out how to do anything by watching a YouTube video. So there's a lot of like music playing, play alongs, different things. So that use of technology, my students are going home. And if they're, if they're intrinsically motivated to learn something, they're finding things for me that I've never seen. And that was not like that when I was a kid and I'm trying to lead the horses, if you will, to water. And a lot of them are drinking, which is wonderful. So that's a, a little bit experience for me that, not until I had a really great teacher at the high school level did I think about digging in and really pursuing music as a career. But I'm hoping that my teaching with my students can inspire them to do things outside of the classroom. And how about for you, Kevin? I would say I had a, a similar trajectory uh, as far as how my teachers influenced me and, and my teaching style. Just to go back to what Colleen was talking about with music, that was also a very important part of my educational experience. I started playing clarinet in fourth grade, uh, and I did it until I graduated from college. And then I actually was a part of the Westfield Community Band for a while. Would love to get back there someday. It's just my schedule is a little busy right now. So it seems um, it sounds like there might be a duet in our future. In our future, that sounds Kevin. fun. That sounds fun. Yeah. I could I could I could make peace with a brass person to do that. Uh, <laughs> my wife also was a uh, was a brass player as well. She played French horn, so we we joke about that about which one's better. As far as teachers that I had when I was in high school, I also had several amazing math teachers and in middle school as well. That's around the time late middle school, early high school, where I started becoming stronger in math. I wasn't always good at it. Even throughout high school, I was constantly flip-flopping between honors and CP level, but I think it was my Algebra 1 teacher, Ms. Pastuz, and my other teachers, my calculus teacher, Ms. Giordano, a bunch of other people that really helped to develop my interest in mathematics and, and helped me in a way that kind of convinced me that not only was I good at math, but I could also help, at the time, my friends with it, which got me thinking, well, maybe then this could be a, a good career choice. I think the relationship that we have with our teachers from when, when we were students is just very interesting. I, through the wonders of the internet, managed to find my second grade teacher who has retired obviously long ago. She's up in Connecticut. She was just, I think, a brand new teacher at Bloomingdale when I had her in second grade. And she gave me a love of reading, which I let her know about, which was, was kind of cool. But then I also have an opportunity to see today's students. I'm part of the intergenerational studies program that takes place at Cranford High. And one of the other seniors, and I don't mean 12th graders, that's part of that is Henry Burke. He was my math teacher in junior high, as well as my seventh grade homeroom teacher. And he'll say to me again and again, call me Hank, but I can't ever call one of my teachers by their first name. <laughs> <laughs> he said, he'll always be Mr. Burke to me. Do you ever interact with any of your old teachers? And what is that relationship like now that you are teachers? 
As far as former teachers, I think because I've moved, I live up here in Union County and I grew up down in Mercer County. I think it's a little bit tough, but I did have this opportunity after it started during high school that extended after high school. And there was um, a music teacher who came to my high school and was a student teacher and he was getting his master's and he started a summer band. And the first name of the band, which I incessantly like never let him hear enough of was the summer swing fling big band which is so (laughs) wordy and our first gig was at a pizza hut we played in the parking lot of a pizza hut and then we also played at a nursing home and that was the first summer and we rehearsed every sunday at the university of the arts which is where he was getting his master's in philadelphia and we drove down to philly every sunday we rehearsed together and it was a big band typical big band arrangements about 16 to 20 pieces and the second summer we went on a mini tour we went to the kennedy center in washington dc and played on the millennium stage we played in a couple of jazz clubs in philly it was great and then the third summer we went to Greece. Wow. Another director from the band was from Greece and we went to his hometown in Crete and we were there for 18 days and we played all over the island and it was incredible. We even went to Athens and saw the Acropolis and the Parthenon. And then a couple years later, we also went to Italy and that band is now called the Philadelphia Jazz Orchestra. And each summer they have a new crew of kids that go and I think every other year they go abroad and those teachers that I had that experience with I definitely have kept in touch with and um, remember fondly and honestly not only I think has helped me grow as a musician and kind of see other opportunities but also my travel bug I think kind of started with that of those few trips that I went on and I have quite the travel bug. (laughs) Yes, I'm well aware of some of the trips that you've taken. How about you, Kevin? Do you still stay in contact with any of your old teachers? So I do keep in contact with one. I don't think I actually ever had him for a class, but he was the student council advisor in high school when I was involved with that. So he's actually involved in the NJA. He still teaches there and he's involved with the union. So uh, a lot of times when we go to different workshops, we see each other and we joke about how he's getting older and I'm younger than him. And it's it's very amusing. He has an awesome sense of humor. There were several other teachers I did keep in contact that I lately have not kept in contact with as much. But my fifth grade teacher, I mentioned a lot of my math teachers, but I would say if I had to pick one teacher that had the largest impact on me, it was my fifth grade teacher. I think also because she was a big Star Trek fan and I was a big Star Trek fan (laughs) and she introduced us to Harry Potter, which I liked. So we, we connected over those things. And I would probably go back at least once a year after having her to visit her. And it was funny just realizing how each year I'd have to go after I would go back the desks in her classroom seemed smaller and smaller and smaller because they're meant for 10 year old children. And now I'm like 20 going back to visit her. Um, but uh, I visit her once each year, I think until she retired, probably about then. It was nice to be able to kind of to do that. My second grade teacher, Bernie, you mentioned your second grade teacher. My second grade teacher was also very, very important to me. And I think one time in class, I remember being a second grader and this, this was a compliment in my second grade mind. Uh, she was helping with something. And I said, thanks, grandma. because not because I thought she was old, but because my grandma was and is very important to me. And and just, you know, that's, that's kind of where my second grade head went. So uh, I visited her once years after I had her. And I think she was shocked to to see me. I think she remembered me after a while unless she was just faking it and looking like she did. Um, But uh, I did enjoy going back to see her and just telling her how much my time in her class meant. So uh, that was fun. Could I go back to an answer to something else we talked about? I remember you were talking about a, uh, how 
things are different now being a teacher versus when we were a student. I vividly remember things like overhead projectors mm-hmm. uh, and other things where, you know, the teacher would be writing on those and doing things. And I thought to myself then, oh, when I'm a teacher, I'll be doing that. And then, of course, you know, like <laughs> the world evolves and now overhead projectors are a thing of the past. And I think to add on to that also, like how things are different uh, now versus when I was a student, I currently use Google Classroom a lot to supplement my instrumental lessons because I see them only 30 minutes once a week and we go through a lot and they have a lot going on in their lives. So by posting different videos, some of which I've created, some of which I found on the internet, by giving them those practice resources, they're able to go home and practice in the way that I'm asking them to, to come back and be more successful. So for me, I feel like trying to give my students more of that support to support their at-home practicing, I think is a, like a lot different now than it was in the past. It would be like, here's your homework. Here's a sheet of paper. Best of luck to you. And now I think being able to support my students and also with the choruses, I have a Google classroom where there's, I've made videos of myself singing and they can sing along. And I've gotten a lot of positive feedback about that. And with, the performing arts, I've utilized those technologies and they've only made my program stronger. To build off of that, which built off of mine, even in math class, now thinking about it a little more, if a student is struggling on something and they want a little additional help, I don't have to try and create a worksheet. We have software that can be helpful for remedial purposes and I can generate problems or I can look up some videos online, look through them myself first to kind of make sure they align with how we're showing something. And I can say, oh, if you're not understanding this topic, check out this video. If you're not understanding this, check out that. And then you can come in and see me. But the idea of just being able to share a video or post the link to something that might supplement what we're doing in the classroom is, is not something we had access to when we were in school. So I think COVID really pushed us into that digital resources and being able to provide students with that because of we had to necessity is the mother of invention. Yeah, we had to do that for the students. And now my digital resources are so much more rich. And we're kind of meeting students where they are, they spend a lot of their time on their devices. And if that means that they're well equipped with those resources, and we can share that with them to support their learning, I think that it's great. I think sometimes we as educators, at least myself, Colleen, you can tell me what you think, but I find that sometimes with when I find these cool digital resources, sometimes they end up going down the rabbit hole and then you find this and you find this and you find <laughs> this. And then, you know, you realize an hour later, oh, you know, uh, maybe we should rein it in a little bit here and you have to kind of curate and then see. Yes. But I think it's a net positive having that for the students. And especially from a math perspective, visualization and math is very important. And I think it helps a lot of kids understand concepts. So being able to go online and find a good visualization for something or something they can play around with and manipulate really helps better than me trying to, to draw something on a whiteboard in a lot of cases. So absolutely, they complement each other. I don't think it'll ever truly replace, but it's a very good supplement. I agree. Well, this has been a delightful discussion. I want to thank you both so much for being on the podcast. We've been talking with Kevin Challa. He is the president of the Cranford Education Association, as well as a teacher at Cranford High School. And Colleen McDonald, the recording secretary for the executive board of the CEA. And she is a teacher at both Bloomingdale and Livingston Avenue schools. Colleen, Kevin, thanks so much for being my guest on Cranford Radio. Thanks so much. It was a pleasure. Thank you.